Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Because it's time. It's, it's time for reparations. LGBTIQ rights are black rights. We have always been here. Black queers, we will always be here. It's like, it's a form of cultural imperialism. The only thing I have in common with this character is that she's black. This does not look like me or sound like me. I'm Gary Foley. I'm Francesca Ramsey. This is Amir Rahman. And you're listening to The Race Card. Welcome to The Race Card on Sin 90.7 FM. The time is exactly 3 o'clock. And I'm Amina Ziard, your host for this afternoon show. Before we begin, we'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the Kulin people as the owners of the land on which we meet, and we pay respects to the elders both past and present. This land was never ceded, and the processes of colonization, occupation, incarceration, and genocide that began over two centuries ago continue to this day. You're listening to our one-hour show where we chat politics, current affairs, and pop culture with a little bit of a twist, as well as wrapping up the most thought-provoking issues in Australia for the week. Today, we look at the upcoming Black Voices Conference. We are, we'll be speaking to Elizabeth and we'll be talking about Gabby's Indigenous Autonomous Exhibition at RMIT, and Amar Rahman's got some crowdfunding that's happening. Don't forget to get involved in all of the discussions by texting in on 0427-767-767 or tweet us at the race card. My co-host for this weekend's show is... Uh, Ahmed Yusuf, uh, and I think we've got a special guest in studio. We but- do. Who, who might it be? Who, who might, might it be? be? Please introduce yourself. Oh, hey. Um, my name's Elizabeth. I go by the name of Una Madura Verde, and I'm here in Melbourne um, because of the annual NEMBC radio conference. Which is fantastic. <laughs> so, Ahmed, do you want to take this, uh, take this on the get-go? Let's get started. Yes, we will be getting it started, and... Uh, Right now, we've, we're going to be calling up uh, Aisha Tufa, um, one of the co-founders of In Our Own Words, a NGO focusing on um, catering to the African-Australian uh, community and talking about decolonization. And uh, uh, sh- I think she's on the line right now. Hello, Aisha. Hi. I want to explain... Can I explain a little about In Our Own Words first and, and then how it relates back to back voices? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, probably the best way to okay. go about it. Why aren't, you making, why aren't you doing this interview? I know, right? <laughs> okay, sweet. So uh, In Our Own Words started off as like a, a production. It was a documentary about race, migration and identity among uh, the African diaspora in Melbourne. And it focused a little on East Africans specifically. And uh, so it kind of just grew from that into an organization that me and Sarati created. So the both of us are co-founders. We also both worked on the documentary. Um, And yeah, so like ever since that, we've just 
uh, we've expanded and we've been doing things uh, like we had a mental health forum, we had multiple documentary screenings, we also have a history program in place. Um, and so, yeah, we target or we work with the development of young people's Afro-descent in Melbourne. And we have three pillars that we work around, and that's decolonial thinking, self-awareness, and community empowerment. And the reason why Black Voices is really important, along with the reason why In Our Own Words exists, is that we create safe spaces that centers us. And so it's, sometimes it's difficult in, in countries like Australia to find spaces like that where we can connect with others like us you know, where the environment is corrected to us and, and only us. And so it allows us to understand ourselves through a lens that we create, not a lens that objectifies us, if that makes sense. So I, I, um, get, uh, I yeah. guess um, my question is, <laughs> what makes Black Voices different to, I guess, other conventions or conferences held talking about um, uh, done by the African community, maybe an Africa Day, for example, or one of those festivals. What what's different about Black Voices? <laughs> um, I'd say the point of difference. This is a conversation that I've had with Sorority multiple times, and I'd say like the point of difference for Black Voices would be how, um, in her words, how the process really reflects the product of what we're trying to do, and so it's called Black Voices. That's and the process of how we got there reflects that as well. So everything from the people that have been organizing it to all the speakers, to all the volunteers, to the MCs, the funding, all of it has come through um, the community. And so we, you know, we have outcomes for some of the workshops and discussions that um, we're, we're having on the day. And through these things, we're not just connecting um, people and saying, oh, hey, let's get together and have fun. We're strengthening the already existing presence and identity that we have that our community has in Footscray. And so, you know, it's it's more of an assertive step and we're saying we are at the forefront of our own affairs because some of the things that um, will be spoken about at the event uh, will be about things that directly affect us. I guess why Footscray of all places in um, in Melbourne? Why, why Footscray? Footscray is the epicenter of the African diaspora in Melbourne. If you're African, you know what Footscray is, you have some sort of connection or relation to it, that's for sure. And we already have an existing presence there as well. So um, down Nicholson Street, you've got like Little Africa there. So that's where we all do our business, where we have family, where we have friends. Some of us live there. But yeah. I get, tell me a bit of the some of the workshops that will be held um, and some of the guests that you might be, you, you'll be featuring at Black Voices. Yeah, I'll start off um, with kind of just what the workshops will be about. So we have a few. We've got some on um, blackness, belonging, and community, and, you know, where we're looking at how intersections of our identities shape our experiences and the realities of our lives. And it also looks at specific experiences that local business owners also are going through currently. And we're looking at gentrification in Footscray as well. And I'll move on to that a little later. But um, we have another one about artistry and rebellion. So how we use art um, as a form of, I guess, resistance. Uh, we also look at decolonizing aid and gentrification as well. So the process of displacement that we're facing there. Um, and we'll, obviously they'll all feature our guests, respective of the fields that they're experienced in. And so uh, one of our special guests is Lorraine Lemar. She's based in the U.S. She co-founded um, and directed 
and and what you call it? It's called Africans in the Diaspora. So it looks at decentralizing and decolonizing aid to the continent. And so essentially it's looking at the most conducive way to build relationships between the diaspora and the continent. And obviously she'll be in the workshop about decolonizing aid. And then we also have Akala, and he's a UK-based rapper, poet, journalist. I know you're a big fan of him. <laughs> yes. Um, he, yeah. <laughs> He literally does um, everything. He's an activist as well, and there's nothing he shies away from. He speaks on things from social issues, racism, black masculinity, um, African history as well. So I can't wait to have critical discussion with him. It's going to be fantastic. And one of our other, uh, our last but not least special guest is Shola Amo, who is a Nigerian-British director and, and writer. And he's done some work that looks at the locals of, the young locals of South London and New York. And so they talk about their experiences in quickly changing neighborhoods, i.e. gentrification. So that's something that's happening right now in Footscray, which is where we're holding the event. So he'll be in on that. We're also, um, that workshop's going to be called Our Hood. <laughs> and so it's going to focus on, do you want to talk about it, Ahmed? Because you're also part of uh, the In Our Own Words team and you're working on something with Mariah. Yeah. In regards to gentrification in Footscray. Um, yeah, uh, so Ahud will be discussing gentrification, Footscray moments, and talking to people from from Footscray who's lived there um, for for decades, to people who have recently moved to Footscray, um, and, and and talking about Footscray being, I guess, one one of the people that we interviewed talked about Footscray being a place where the most vulnerable go to seek refuge in a sense. And mm. that was, that, that, that was one thing that um, resonated with me. And I, I guess what I wanted to ask is how hard has it been organizing this event where you have a, 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 a largely a group of young people um, with not that much funding organizing event that is looking to, 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 I guess, spread, spread through global markets. Mm-hmm. It is difficult, I'm not going to lie, but I think what it is that keeps us going is that, you know, we all realize how much bigger this is than just us and what we want to do. It's going to have so much more of an impact on the livelihoods of, of people, of our people. And so I think when we're able to get through, then people in our community, you know, begin to invest in us, which is them investing in their own community. And so I think through that, it's it's made it a lot easier. We have a lot of people that believe in the work that we do and we have an incredible amount of support and that makes it so much easier. Hey, Aisha, this is Elizabeth from Sydney and I just wanted to congratulate you on what sounds like an amazing oh. um, conference. I've heard of Black Voices. I think you had a film screening in Sydney not too long ago or maybe last year. And I just yeah. wanted, yeah, and I just wanted to know, like, if you're thinking of spreading your wings um, to different parts of um, Australia. Absolutely. Um, our, one of our goals is to have a screening in every state, and so that's the uh, the documentary that we started off with called In Our Own Words as well, um, which I spoke a little bit about at the start. And so we've had uh, two screenings in Melbourne. We did have a screening in Sydney, and we also had a screening in Tasmania as well. But we're absolutely looking to do screenings in in all states across Australia. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, that's something that we have planned. 
Thank you so much. Um, I also wanted, to, could I ask another question? Is that okay with you? Um, yeah, of I course. See, yeah. I see, I'm sorry, I was just asking the hosts. I'm only a guest today. Um, I <laughs> saw okay. that um, you will be speaking about um, art and how art can enable, I guess, um, people from different identities to express themselves. And I just yep. wanted to know how important has um, art in particular, like visual forms, radio forms, um, enabled black voices, I guess, to extend to non-black voices in terms of our political message as um, what I like to refer to as culturally diverse communities. I don't know if that question um, resonates with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I kind of get what you're saying. I yeah, think yeah. the reason why, so if you're looking at art, um, the workshop that we have is going to be um, run, run through with a local artist, which is still to be um, announced, and it'll it, it'll include Akala and Jimbla as well. And so it's it's a discussion that kind of surrounds how the use of you know the use of arts as a social as social and political resistance. So it'll be a space curated um, to explore the multifaceted intersections inter of Black creativity. And so I think the reason why that's so important is, I, I mentioned before, is it's about taking an assertive step and saying we're at the forefront of how we want to be viewed. And we're looking at ourselves through a lens that we are creating. And so it's a step towards self-determination rather than, you know, playing a role that you're given through another lens that doesn't reflect you authentically. But yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, Aisha. Really appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on the show. And hopefully Black Voices uh, kicks off without a hit. You can, I'm pretty sure you can find Inner On Words on, on Twitter and Facebook. So do uh, try and, to find uh, them yep. and, and buy tickets to, to Black Voices. You know, it's, it's just around the corner. Thank you, Aisha, for Definitely. coming on the show. Definitely. It's on the 12th of December. Make sure you guys come through. Definitely. I don't know. I don't date white guys, which is really weird. But like, it's just like... It's not necessarily a decision I made, it's just something that just sort of came and like I've noticed a pattern I guess. <laughs> um, do you think the pattern is, I don't know, like a good, a good thing for you? It's worked in your favour? Yeah, it's, it's worked in my favour I'd say, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, are you fascinated with I like the Australian people here. They're really nice. Yeah, yeah, I like the Australian people. But maybe that's because they also actually migrated mostly from Europe. So, yeah, there's a bit of a connection already there. Not most people have, like, grandparents come from Europe and stuff. So they have something more yeah. to talk about. Do you have particular preferences of certain culture groups over others? Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> what, what, would, what are they if you feeling comfortable with? Uh, yeah, I feel a bit more comfortable around Europe, people from Europe or Aussie people, yeah. Or if they at least speak properly English or, yeah, if they look Asian but they, they are from Europe or their parents are European or Aussie, then it's a bit, bit more comfortable. <laughs> no worries, thank you. We have to consider whenever we want to become a relationship first. Uh, I don't believe in religion, but anyway, I mean that the background of the business is important because, for example, a Muslim cannot become friends with a Jewish. Okay, so I don't believe in religions, but anyway, but it has an effect. The other thing is that one of them is religion, the other one is the nationality. For example, an Iranian cannot. Uh, there are a lot of cases, but you know, it's rare, but you know. 
actually so the nationality for example an Iranian cannot uh, married to for example I don't know maybe Chinese so they have some conflict so I think two things that I reached to Sin 90.7 FM and we are the race card. Remember, you can get involved in all of the discussions by texting in on 0427-767-767 or tweet us at the race card. Now we're moving on into our segment, The Week That Was, where we highlight what's happened in the past week. And this past week, two yes. GB talk back radio hosts compared football fans to terrorists. Yes, yes. Alan Jones, uh, everyone, everyone's favorite favorite talkback radio host spoke about football fans and compared them to terrorists as you just said and, and here's what he said now so just finally is this like terrorism in paris the leaders have no guts that's exactly right that's exactly right alan they you know they need to, this culture must be fixed from within Yes, um, they were talking about football fans and the recent ban list that the Daily Telegraph um, journalist Rebecca Wilson uh, released about 198 fans and, and how they were banned and post their names, um, their photographs, um, and, and a lot of them have lost their jobs. A lot of them have um, had some trouble um, with, with social media, their, 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 um, their profiles being highlighted. And, and such, but but also the issue with labelling football fans terrorists, and a lot of the time football fans are sometimes racialized uh, and and seen as a certain type. And uh, years gone by, calling the game "quote unquote" wog ball um, and things of that nature, and also there are are headlines and news newspaper clippings of saying. Um, soccer men are after your boys and, and that sort of thing and that very xenophobic attitude when it comes to football and I don't think a lot of people talk about um, I guess football fans in, in that kind of context in Australia because a lot of time when we think about football we think about a very mainstream very um, world world renowned sport that, that wouldn't necessarily have football fans at least in an Australian context racialized. Mm-hmm. Usually, usually sport um, in Australia is off limits when it comes to race politics. But I think in the recent years, it's come into the conversation. Oh, yeah, it's come into the conversation. I mean, particularly, um, I don't know if this is like football, but I think a good example. I'm I'm not a sport fanatic, as you may or may not know. Oh, but well, you can you can still um, talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think a recent example is Adam Goodson calling racism out from an audience member. Um, and I think that's another example of how race politics has become an issue in Australian sport, which I think is, it's, it's contentious, but it's also interesting because it gets everyone into the conversation. So the right wing views, I think, surface or trickle to the top. And yeah, I yeah don't know. definitely. Um, and, and also, I guess, um, when, when we talk about, when we talk about race in Australia, I have to remember um, the white Australia policy, we have to talk about that. The first, one of one of the initial migrants to come into Australia were um, the, um, the the Mediterranean European people who came to Australia brought brought to Australia their smelly food, um, their foreign game, and and how that has actually uh, how that's kind of transcended into how people have looked to to football, even though football in Australia has been soccer, for example. I'll, I'll just say soccer, because okay. I think everyone understands that and differentiates that Yeah, cool, cool. I think I'm uh, talking rugby. You think you're talking <laughs> rugby? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, soccer in Australia, and even though it's been in Australia, at least in, in I guess, in 
the 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 conversation for for hundreds of years mm. it's never really propelled into the spotlight until migration and that that particular migration pattern has led to the way we see football and, and specifically when he was referencing uh, Alan Jones was referencing Western Sydney Wanderers fans and if you've been to Western Sydney you know what kind of people he's talking about and mm-hmm. and how that trickles down into how people are racialized but we we moving on and I think um, we're going to be calling up um, a guest on the show, and I think Amina has more. Yep. Um, but just before we move on to that, just to bring it back, um, I think it's also important to remember how soccer kind of came to be, and it was something for the marginalized peoples. Um, Ahmed, do you want to talk about that history? I think you've got a little bit more on that. Yeah. No, also, like, so- like soccer in, in a number of contexts were for working class people, um, and I, th- I think we're talking off air. We're also talking off air. Um, I was talking to you, uh, Una. Yeah, got it yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know if I should call it Elizabeth or Una, but I'll go no. with Una. Yeah, I was cool. talking to Una and, and telling and telling her that even though um, uh, black people in Ukraine, um, not Ukraine, <laughs> Ecuador, in the Ecuadorian second yeah, team, yeah. you know, in, in Ecuador, are a minority. Their uh, their their football team is populated by. Um, black players and the most famous Ecuadorian footballers are black, yeah, and right. and how they they in, in, in a number of contexts use football in a sense of um, finding an escape through yeah. oppression, breaking poverty. down like pre-existing disadvantages. Definitely, and and I think yeah. that some parallels can be seen by how Indigenous people in Australia use AFL mm. and that kind of thing, and uh, how I guess in a in a in a, in a bigger sense, a sport is. A um, an avenue for social change, right? Yeah, and particularly I think, football. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting when people talk about sport as a as a vehicle for social change, um, because it can be. It can be very revolutionary, not just in terms of race, but also in terms of you know ideas of gender, um, you know ideas of gender diversity. Uh, how do we section that? Um, it, it is. It it allows to have these really. Uh, not contestable conversations. What's the word? Contentious. Contentious, Contentious yeah. conversations, yeah. which is really important because it, in one sense, it is entertainment, but on the other sense, it is also very much political. Mm. Um, well, yeah. I, I always, like, I was telling, you know, a couple of friends the other day that movement is political because our bodies are political. So when we participate in sports or the way how our body moves or the way how that's racialized in our movement, for example... Th- these are all very much political, you know, phenomena. It's like a very political process. Yeah. Um, and I guess coming that, back to yeah, the... No, yeah. that, that brings to mind, uh, I guess, um, Iranian uh, women going to football f- football games in Iran dressed as men because they're trying to take up space and public space. And in the in the con- um, at that time, and I think still currently, they weren't allowed to um, to go to football games and in uh, early in the year in the Asian Cup in January in Australia, there were swathes of Iranian women going to football games to to kind of act and and protest that uh, I guess that obviously wrong sexist thing of them not being able to take up public space in in football stadiums um and and that is what i immediately thought about when you talked about taking public space um and and having that that discussion also like iranian football fans with uh, football players were told not to talk to iranian women fans even though they probably just want hey can can i have an autograph that, <laughs> that simple request yeah. and they were told by the rfa 
uh, football association not to not to wow, do that. Wow, that is... Yeah, no, so, so these things are very political. Yeah, and it's not just any space, it's public space. Because mm, if we think yeah. how the sport is consumed, it's like a media platform. Right. So once again, we are occupying space and we're also, I guess, um, sort of trying to radicalise how um, audiences react mm. to that because we're not only interacting with one community of audiences but many around the world simultaneously so I guess that's very telling of how sport can be revolutionary as well in oh, terms yeah. of starting conversations about oh, yeah. the Ecuadorian team for instance like I mean who knew that a black pay- black player would be the conversation of so many audiences around the world because of his capacity in Ecuador that is that is radical because of I guess the hierarchies of peoples um, in our country and in many countries because of the color of your skin right and yeah. just coming back to the whole idea of you know the racializing of fan bases I remember or even not just fan bases but who we think practice the sports I remember when I was a child and I think one of my siblings or was it me who wanted to take part in like track and field and my mom was like maybe you should do something else because <laughs> of this idea and I guess coming back to you know who practices track and field, you know, who excels in that area, who excels in that arena, who excels in like football, for example, or, or any of that, uh, or who, who is a fan. Um, when we're talking about, you know, bases of fans, not just one or two fans. Yeah. Um, it kind of brings to mind like exactly what, what that grab was, was trying to highlight, um, who gets demonized and who isn't. Because I don't think I've ever heard any golf fans <laughs> being talked in a in a similar light. I don't think they've ever been told that they were. I don't know. What what, what exactly did they say? The guy. What, well, you basically compare them to, to terrorists in, exactly. a, in, a, in a sense, and yeah. and that that even when you think about the Western Sydney Wanderers fan base, and and, and he, he was talking about Western Sydney, uh, Western Sydney, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers fans, but also football fans in general. But particularly them, a lot of their fans are. Um, uh, come from migrant communities um, in Western Sydney, which is dominated by Middle Eastern people. Um, and, and what is he trying to hint at? Mm. W- what is he trying to say? And, and, and that kind of stuff. And, and that is what resonated with me. And, and after that comment, throughout the week, there was so much outcry from, from football fans last night at a um, at Melbourne City versus no Melbourne Victory versus Adelaide United. Um, Northern the Northern Terrace Mom Victory supporter group walked out after, wow. um, I, 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 like while the game was playing really really early on, and said, "Hey, we're off bye," in the first half, and that's around four, I think four a good four thousand people, like that a, a huge sway of um, the the active support that are normally there in Melbourne Victory games. Melbourne Victory have a membership base of twenty six thousand people. So I think you could you could comfortably say five thousand people just walked out and said bye. That's incredible. So wow. so so that kind of thing, and then throughout the throughout the round, there's been people holding banners and asking Football Federation Australia, "Are you going to?" Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
talk about what Alan Jones has said? Are you going to be talking mm. about how football fans, like some of the football fans, these are all rumors, obviously. Uh, I'll, I'll preface that, but some of the things that people say, friends of friends and uh, have been banned for are really, really minor things. Things have just been the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. Sometimes not even, and that that also goes with the hysteria and and the fear of. Football, football, football Federation Australia, the FFA, of how football fans are viewed and trying to, mm. I guess, show that they're you know, they're they're the ones trying to, you know, correct the fans and right. trying to to be the arbiters of of, of reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 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 And you know when you have things like discipline or like trying to show that you are in authority or in your control, there is something particularly insidious when the authority is predominantly white and the fans are predominantly people of color and they're trying to exercise authority you know you might as well be exercising authority on border control like you know what i mean it's very symbolic to me um in a similar way where they have to be at the point of authority they have to be at the point of like you're unruly we're not so therefore we're going to civilize you type of manner do you feel similarly yes um the, the issue is there that not it's not predominantly people of color. I'd say Western okay. Sydney Wanderers, a huge sway of their support, are uh, potentially people of color, whereas uh, also Melbourne Victory potentially as well. But right. uh, and and those are the Sydney FC, Melbourne Victory, Western Sydney Wanderers are the teams that usually get picked up. Specifically, Western Sydney Wanderers and Melbourne Victory, and they've got a huge sway of support. A lot of the people that go to the active support are um, that's probably the cheapest sticker you can get. So those are the those are the working class people yeah, trying right. to get into the game, and people who are who are who are probably more well off are going into the you know the the reserve seating or the the private boxes where and they're safe where they're safe and and, and sanitized <laughs> and also the, no the game in Australia is, is in a sense is is very sanitized families obviously go um, and there's a huge family sp- space and all that kind of stuff and usually the people that are on the the people that that apparently gain the biggest kind of traction are the ones that are a bit younger, a bit poorer, and mm. and, and, and they you, look different. And they look kind of different as well. Mm. Um, and I think we'll, we'll move on to yeah. our next That's interview. Gabby uh, hosted an Indigenous Autonomous Art Exhibition at RMIT that had a little bit of comp- commotion. commotion. She's going to be joining us in a moment. Um, but before we do get Gabby on... Uh, can give me the backdrop, Amina, of what we might be expecting. I think we're going to be expecting um, what is pretty typical of an Australian situation regarding an autonomous space where a couple of white people come in and they're a little bit upset because they can't actually come in. We've, so um, we've, we've got Gabby on the <laughs> line now. Hello, Gabby. Hello. Hi, Gabby. Welcome to the race card. Thank you. Okay, How so are you guys? we're good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, so, what? for the listeners out there, could you tell them a bit about what you do? Uh, yeah, um, I'm a young Kauri woman who's um, from the Anawan and Gumbangia people um, of northern New South Wales. Um, and I'm currently down, based in Melbourne, and one thing I've just done is... Um, Finished um, my grad show at RMIT as a fine arts student. Congratulations! Um, thank you. <laughs> and yeah, so I've worked on a few projects um, in, t- in an arts 
type of context, yeah. That's so cool. Well, you know, I got a message from one of our co-hosts, um, Tarnine. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> um, recently you held an Indigenous Autonomous Art Exhibition. And uh, something happened <laughs> in that exhibition. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, so um, as part of the RMIT graduation show that I was just a part of, which is still on at the moment until I think next Friday, um, and I decided within that space, and it's basically a space where students show, you know, put out what they've been working towards um, to like the general public, but also to different institutions and galleries. Um, so I decided I'd use that type of space to um, make my own space within it um, and kind of with the intent of repositioning our power as Indigenous people, as traditional custodians of this country. And um, with that, I wanted repositioning our power, wanted to be on top and kind of be authoritative in some type of way and allow only access to Indigenous people um, to ensure that we had autonomy within that space and, in a sense, sovereignty. And it was a safe space for us as well, to be sacred. Um, so it's like kind of a little rundown of the intent and the foundations behind the project. And um, because I was um, kind of in a way policing who was allowed in that space, and because it's just for Indigenous people, and we're only talking about space, we're not talking about anything that has like currency attached to it or anything like that, no service or anything. Um, we're just talking purely about space. And people were confronted by that, in particular people who were not um, who are of white ancestry. Um, before you could enter the space, there was rules um, painted on a wall in front and one of the rules was was well, it wasn't not rules it was a request it was if you have um have the blood of the colonizer please respect my request to not enter um quite a few times that was just blatantly um disregarded and people would just come into the space in particular when i was in there by myself so there's more mob in there people wouldn't um but i was also had people being quite confrontational to me um, when I was by being, when I was by myself, I was quite vulnerable and people um, questioning me and um, stating that it was reverse racism, which wow. I think is completely ridiculous because that um, doesn't exist. Um, and it's yeah, it's just really interesting because I had quite a few um, people of white ancestry. Um, accused me of being racist and actually they were really frustrated and agitated that I claimed something as mine. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it's been a pretty full-on Yeah, it sounds very um, process lately, yeah. Uh, well, firstly, we're very sorry that you had to go through something like that, um, which is obviously inexcusable. Um, and thank you for so much for sharing that with us. At the no, same that's time, right. thank you for listening. <laughs> well, I think people should know that this stuff happens. So, um, okay, so firstly, there is no such thing as reverse racism. I think we've established that. Um, so, for everyone who's listening in, listening for the first time, there's definitely no such thing as racism. And as you said, it was just to do with space. It wasn't like, you yeah. know, any political, social influence. It was literally just recla like 
having having your own if that make is that right um yeah own, having basically. ownership over your own yeah and yeah it's yeah. just um it was just a space and i had performances in that space by indigenous people i had my own um artwork that i've done in the past within that space um and it was just a curtained off area so mm. it was easily accessible for people from the outside and i just wanted to people on the outside have some type of onus about, mm. you know, their responsibility to ensure that black colours have their own space. Yeah, for sure. Um, because, you know, um, people of colour, Indigenous people, we need to have space where we can mm. have, you know, critical dialogue about issues that matter to us. Like, you know, the reason yeah. that's why you guys have the race card to yeah, have, exactly. you know, a very specific dialogue that has a black lens. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's not through wide eyes, blue eyes. Right. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't political, but I think any art that people do or any kind of resistance mm. is political, exactly. mainly political. Yeah. Um, I remember, again, I was I was just saying, you know, to my co-hosts um, in an earlier segment that, you know, because our bodies are politicized, everything we do is almost politicized, you know? Yeah. Whether we want to or not, because we exist, our, our bodies, our beings exist in such a politi- politicized yeah. manner, you know, art will be political. Our, you know, the way our bodies move will be political. The way we display yeah. ourselves will be political. And that's yeah, not a bad thing. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not a bad thing. I mean, I think it's incredible that we're still able to exercise ownership over our, our you know ourselves in spite of having so many disenfranchisements so um yeah i guess with that onwards and upwards for you and i am so glad you stood your ground <laughs> in spite of everything yeah and um, <laughs> thank you again just it very sorry yeah i'm when i heard that i was just like wow um that sounds devastating <laughs> that sounds like a very cruel <laughs> uh, experience yeah. But thank you so much for speaking. Yeah. No, I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that with us. No, thank you for um, giving me the space to talk about it. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Francesca Ramsey, and you're listening to The Race Card. Uh, but as we wait, why don't we talk about the the past um, past weekend? There's been a interesting conference yeah there has the NEMBC recently had their annual conference it's been going on for three years this is the third year running and um, the conference it went from the 26th to the 27th of November so that's the Friday and Saturday Um, the first day is dedicated to um, ethnic community radio broadcasters under the age of 20 and then the one on the Saturday is for broadcasters of any age Right. And for our listeners who are not sure what NEMBC stands for, it is the National Ethnic Multicultural Broadcasters um, Council, yeah. um, which is pretty cool. Um, do you want to talk about a little bit of what went down there? Because I hadn't had the opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, basically, it was an opportunity for ethnic community broadcasters to congregate in a specific space um, and get to know each other. It's a really special thing. I mean, we do so much work behind the scenes, but we rarely get to interact with each other. Mm. So it's that opportunity to share ideas and what we're doing, sort of like see what um, the challenges are in terms of multicultural media 
um, in, particularly in the next 10 years or so forth. And I also think it's a great opportunity to, to work with people from different, I guess, um, not only identities but generations. Yeah. I feel like ethnic media generation-wise is mm-hmm. very interesting and diverse. Right. Um, so it's an opportunity to do that as well. But there were a series of sessions that were happening, focusing on, you know, what does cultural identity mean? Um, how is like ethnic community radio going to change structurally in the mm. next 10 years? So a lot of interesting topics to explore to a little time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just how powerful is it when a group of young, I don't want to say multicultural because that's so like... Yeah, it's but let's no. just use the word multicultural yeah, yeah, okay, okay. for the time being. Ethnically, yeah. linguistically, and no, the, mm, these are cold. all contestable issues. Yeah, it but, is um, contestable. It um, is. But we know what we're talking about. So, how powerful is it when you have a group of diverse, you know, uh, culturally diverse, linguistically diverse people? People. Yeah. How powerful is it when they all come together for something like? you know, broadcasting and media. Yeah, it's really powerful. I mean, just getting to know other young people was amazing for me, especially because some of the young people that I met um, were of the same identity groups right. as myself. So I could really kind of like if like associate myself with that particular person and um, potentially have that opportunity to broadcast with them in the mm. future because personally I feel very isolated in the, in the category ethnic... Um, mm. media as a woman of color as I guess a um, young Latin American woman there are very few of us who want to represent our identity in Sydney so like finding other Latin American women who do the same or similar thing to myself it's a form of empowerment yeah yeah and I think there's something when there is you know solidarity but as well as like just the physical presence of it and again coming back to the idea that our bodies are political our, exist- right. our existence is political right. so just coming together it's like this is pretty awesome yeah we can learn how to resist together we can learn how to you know self-empower ourselves or self-realize maybe self-actualization yeah self-actualization I feel that's such a great thing I mean when I first met one of the um, other journos that was reporting on the conference with me she was a Colombian broadcaster from Radio Adelaide as soon as we saw each other we immediately started talking in our language because we felt more comfortable speaking in our language um, of course, we run the risk of excluding other other people from engaging in our conversations. But hey, like English is talked, we like English is forced on us in mm-hmm. so many ways. We rarely, I rarely have the opportunity to right. speak Spanish outside of my home. Oh, completely. So it was just really refreshing. You don't understand. It may, like it really, it, yeah. it really is. Like um, before finding out about like multicultural radio. Hey, using that word multicultural or ethnic <laughs> or ethnic. Yeah, I feel like it's so diverse, exhausted. Diverse, diverse. Um, or diverse. Or diverse. <laughs> These are but, all buzzwords. Right? Diversity, <laughs> ethnic, multicultural—they're buzzwords. Right. Government regurgitated exactly. words. Exactly. They're, they're good for grant writing. Yes. Grant writing exactly. categories. Yeah. Which, speaking of that, like coming back to the whole idea of media, um, as someone who kind of grew up relatively divorced from, ooh, I just nuzzled those. Mike, sorry, with my nose. Anyway, um, coming back to media, as someone who grew up out of the Filipino community, a lot of my education with the Filipinoness of myself was largely to do with, you know, media, media. Like I would watch pop culture, I would watch, you know, the news, get involved with Filipino activism, and that's how I kind of like, you know, got involved, like in, get in touch with my Filipinoness. Um, so yeah, meeting other 
young Filipino people who are on the similar lines as I am is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And um it's a yeah, yeah, it's a shared struggle and one of the questions that I was asked because um unfortunately I was one of like the youngest Latina women there. I mean, I don't mind it. I'm mm-hmm. still like I still love the fact that there are Latin American identifying women there, but one of the things that I was asked is why can I speak, still speak my language so fluently mm-hmm. um even though even though I've been in Australia for so long. Right. And it's a little bit like your story as well. I was actually um I was actually sort of like not I wouldn't say forced but I was actually encouraged from a young age to keep my language and I grew oh, up great. with um a mother who identified as Latin American feminist activist and mm, we wow. went yeah so it was just I guess another opportunity to reinforce why why preserving my identity perhaps was so important mm-hmm. as well and yeah. I guess also sharing that preservation yeah which is why I guess um community radio is really important yeah. Ahmed, I think you've got something on for us. Um, the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in Canberra has a long history, and well, it should be documented, right? Um, Rahman and Dr. Gary Foley have started a crowdfunding campaign to do just that. Ahmed, how are you? Good. So uh, you, you're doing a bit of a crowdfunder. Talk to me about it. What is your crowdfunder about? Uh, so I'm working with Dr. Gary Foley to do a web archive and audio history about the 1972 Tent Embassy. What, um, and uh, how? What is the ideas of what you? How are you going to be doing? Are you going to be using other historians? And and why do you? Why do you need to to make? I think your target goal is fifteen thousand. Why do you need that much? So yeah, we will be working with a historian. I mean, Gary Foley is sort of the authority on uh, that period of Aboriginal radicalism, uh, and the money is basically to set up a proper website uh, that will actually archive um, everything from photos to documentary footage to uh, video clips that we'll be shooting plus the actual uh, audio history. Why, why do you think this is, um, this is urgently needed to be documented, specifically in an Australian context? Uh, well, I think, I mean, in Australia and in international uh, context, because the 10 Embassy, the 10 Embassy started, uh, for people who don't know, uh, almost as like a, uh, some street theater as a response to the McMahon government's uh, refusal to recognize Aboriginal land rights, uh, which they announced uh, very deliberately on Australia Day in 1972. So the next day, the tent embassy was set up as a direct protest. Um, and it got national attention, but also international attention at the time uh, from all kinds of different solidarity groups uh, around the world. Um, and uh, as Dr. Foley says, it, you know, it was the most critical period uh, of Aboriginal activism in the 20th century. Uh, so it's, it's crucial. It's a crucial piece of history that needs to be preserved, you know, and it's not something uh, that is given any real mainstream attention um, in schools or universities, uh, you know, unless you intentionally go out and try to learn that kind of history. Um, it's not something that people come across. So we're hoping this is going to be a free resource uh, for all kinds of people to use, you know, um, for a long time to come. The only time I think I've ever heard about the Aboriginal Ten Embassy at school was when we went to Canberra and we just walked past it. We didn't talk about it. The teacher never said, hey, this is the Aboriginal Ten Embassy. Um, this is the history about it, even though he knew. Um, and then he just said, hey, this is um, this little thing that's right near Parliament. We're going to be going inside there, but that's over there. Um, and 
boys, let's let's walk in now. Um, and and that was the extent of the conversation. Do you think this will change that in a sense? Um, look, I think it's unlikely to change. You know the way history is taught. Um, I guess for people who are interested um, and are interested in teaching other people, it's a resource that they can use. So, in a sense, it can it can be an alternative. Uh, like, especially now we're, we're living in an age where there's so much alternative media. This, is in a sense, can be um, used in that sense. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we're hoping really it'll be a tool for self self education. You know, I mean, even now, if someone's interested, or someone like you was interested at the time when you saw the TED Embassy, I mean, what would you do? You'd go online. You'd go to Google. You might find some stuff on Wikipedia. You might find, you know, bits and pieces here and there, but what we want is like a central sort of location for all this information. What's been the response to the, the crowdfund? Have you been getting a lot of messages from people in support of, of, uh, of the initiative? Yeah, we've gotten, we've gotten great support. We're, so we're 10 days in, we're a third of the way in, and we're almost uh, half funded. We're at about 40, I think we're at about 45, 46% funded. Uh, so we're almost halfway there, so it's looking really good. Um, I guess we just need to keep up the momentum to make sure that we, we get the full, the full target. Hi, Amr. This is Amina here. Um, so for those of us who do want to contribute and get involved with this, um, this funding campaign, um, is there a link or something that people can contribute to? Yeah. I mean, if you just Google um, Aboriginal Tent Embassy Kickstarter, uh, you should be able to find the donation page. And Kickstarter allows you to donate any amount of money. You can donate $1, you can donate 100 you can donate 1000 um, and that's the whole idea behind crowdfunding is that basically, you know, you can go to a demographic that might not have a lot of money, but with enough support, a lot of small contributions will kind of get you to your target. Hopefully you do make your target. Thanks, Armin, for coming on the show. And I guess that's all for uh, this uh, afternoon show. Thanks, Armin, again. Uh, and uh, good luck with the, with the project. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yep, that was Amr Rahman talking to us about the crowdfunder campaign to get a audio uh, uh, and online history of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. And you know, like I went, I remember I went to Canberra uh, when I was in year eleven, and that was the extent of our interaction with the Tent Embassy. I didn't actually go near it, um, and up until last year, um, where, when I visited the Tent Embassy and stay, stay there for a few days. Um, yeah. which was which was amazing. It was amazing to see some of the indigenous elders to speak to them, to hear their stories, and and these sorts of things. Um, even you know, just like or, like oral histories are, are lost so much. They're not in our textbooks. They're are not they? in our. Oh, yeah. They're not in our textbooks. Sure. You can't mm. get those at home. And I'm, I was listening to this um, this other podcast. I think a TED NPR talk, and. They were talking about how things like that, like audio histories, oral histories from from elders, from communities, indigenous communities specifically. Yeah. I think they were yeah. talking in the context of the Amazon um, mm. in South America mm. and how there are so many, there, there are shamans there that have special kind of um, remedies for, for, for illnesses that you can't find in supermarkets. You just no, you just can't. Sure. There's, there's certain things, there's certain, um, whether it be combinations of, yeah. of, of ingredients or whatever that you just, you just can't and... Uh, 
uh, yeah, and things like that need to be more heavily endorsed, and we need to see more more initiatives like that. And I think that more documentation, more of documentation, those documentation yeah. histories, and yeah, and just on that, when I first came to Australia, which was back in 2011, as an international student, and I was asking, you know, a friend of mine at the time. Um, I I just mentioned that where can I actually learn more about I didn't realize there was I didn't know at the time that you had you could you could say indigenous Australian or you know aboriginal people I I said native Australian I I told that to my friend I was like hey um, I want to learn more about native Australians and then she was like talking about lemmingtons and stuff and uh, that's when I figured (laughs) out that she was talking about white people and uh, somewhere in that conversation I actually had to stop her and I was like actually I'm talking about Aboriginal people, <laughs> not white people, and um, so yeah, that that struck to me um, when we're talking about this project. But uh, I really do hope that this project reaches far and wide. I hope there is no excuses. They're almost shooting seven thousand. They're trying to get that fifteen thousand, and there's twenty days left. I think they'll make it. Um, and you know, if you've got s- almost seven thousand dollars, and you need eight more thousand and you've got 20 days and that that's been done in i think 10 to 12 days that sounds really cool you're probably gonna make it you're gonna make mm, it hopefully they make it. it hopefully they make probably it all the best all the best to them, the best to them yeah. and exactly that's oh, can i just can i just call for my statement when i said no excuses i didn't mean no excuses for the GoFund thing i meant no excuses for non-indigenous people to get themselves educated that's, oh definitely that's definitely. what i was trying to say yeah yeah we know what you're trying to say you know <laughs> I guess that draws our show for this afternoon. And thank you for everyone who's contributed. Uh, and uh, that's a goodbye for me. But also before we do go, remember you can get all our past episodes on iTunes and Mixcloud by searching Race Card. Uh, and uh, we're going to be... Oh no! It's okay oh, no. if you're interested in the um well, we, in we, the Amuro tribe. Just look up Amuro tribe by Yadel Sol, and you yeah give your ease a, a we, soundscape we'll a, that you've never heard before. We'll put a link out on on Facebook. Yeah, that'd be um, cool. On our Facebook and Twitter just accounts. Just give like unknown artists a plug. It's always a good yeah, thing. Yeah, we, we can play next week. We'll be here next week. Awesome. We'll, Let's try and, to get and we'll the think of you and and, and the singer. <laughs> yeah. Yay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening. Um, this is the race card. You can get involved. Not get involved. You can follow us at the race card. Um, Facebook.com forward slash um, race, race card, card show. show. I am not on Twitter. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I am uh, Ahmed Yusuf 10, the number 10. Uh, and are you on Twitter? Yes, I am. Do you uh, want to play Una underscore verde. Una underscore verde. Yes. Uh, the only chola at the University of Sydney. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.